Hello, Marvelous Podcast family. What a privilege and honor to be with you again. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing amazing, and I'm sending all of my prayers your way to you, your family, your friends, and everybody you love. We have a phenomenal episode of the show for you today. We have Nick Comadina on, and we are talking about finding your passion to follow your mission. We talk about Nick's story, chasing money, how he almost committed suicide, the distance beta paradox why he thinks self-sabotage doesn't exist which is an interesting take we talk about the subconscious mind plant medicine god why time doesn't exist in the hopi tribes concept of time the dangers of passion passion versus obsession choosing status versus choosing character competition versus collaboration and so much more this is an absolutely phenomenal episode i know that you're going to enjoy it and if you do please take a moment to share this episode far and wide consider leaving a review on itunes and in spotify which just allowed for written reviews so if you want to do that that would be amazing you can consider going over to mattbelair.com and becoming a member for free or by donation and the best thing you can do to support this show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today and for those of you guys who want to work with me one-on-one whether it's for you your business your company you want me to train you you want me to train some other people let me know just make an inquiry at matt at zenathlete.com you know all the training is around peak performance following and living your life purpose how to overcome limiting beliefs and any blocks that you may have and and really mastering your mind body and spirit everything that we talk about and so if you want my support in doing that i'd love to hear from you and see how i could help just make an inquiry mattbelair.com forward slash coaching so that is it let's come into a state of peace and coherence as we get into this show Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, power, faith, courage, and get ready to enjoy this amazing episode with Nick Comadina. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is a successful entrepreneur who opened his first gym business at 21 years old. Since then, he scaled his company organically to multiple seven figures in three years. He is now a business coach specializing in helping entrepreneurs generate wealth by focusing on business energetics and leadership development. Welcome to the show, Nick Comadina. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Matt. Glad we got through the technical stuff at the beginning yeah, to uh, be awesome. here now. Yeah, we're good. We're flowing, man. But uh, it's nice to meet you and get introduced. You know, you've been doing a lot. You're still a young man. Um, and, uh, me, yeah. you know, you've been in the entrepreneurship game for a while to quit and transition. But uh, rather than telling your story for you, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience? Let them know who you are and uh, what you're working on now. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, how far would you like me to go back story-wise, you know? As far as you want. Sure. Yeah. Right. (laughs) at The beginning. (laughs) So, uh, you know, November 14, 1993, I was born. 90s. Oh God. Yeah. I know. (laughs) There's even decade babies now. Like now I'm getting old. I'm 29, man. What are you going to do? There's a lot of miles on these tires though. Don't want that. It's it's about how hard you drive the car. Uh, So I grew up in very humble beginnings. It was just my mother and I single mom. My dad wasn't really around. Um, trailer park living the old eight mile m&m story you know we paid 300 bucks a month for lot rent and um i never really grew up 
with a good relationship with money or any sort of guidance around entrepreneurship. It was really just a rat race, stick to the system upbringing. And I really, something, I just think my whole life, I've always been kind of a challenger. I've always been, I've always just almost seen through a veil I've felt. Um, and I felt very different and I, it would get me in a lot of trouble. You know, I'd always ask the questions in class that most kids wouldn't. And, you know, our school system is very much bred to keep people in a box and not really pull out creativity. And it doesn't really support asking questions outside of what the teacher feels comfortable is their scope of, of being able to uphold. So I got put into a box really early on when I was a kid uh, because I actually did math differently than what the teacher wanted me to do math or how they wanted me to do math. You know, and I'm sure you know this, like if you, you know, if you, if you don't show your work, then it's wrong. And at least that's when I was going to school. If you didn't have all the work written, how they want you to do it, then it was wrong and you were cheating. And it was easy for me to do everything in my head. But any, the long story short, I was not able to do it the way that I was able to. And so I started failing. So I gave up. So I started becoming this really shitty fucking kid. I don't know if we can cuss on your podcast. You can try not to, or else I yeah. can do a little label. Sorry. Yeah, I'm, that's, not, that's, I'm not offended. That's <laughs> I, I turned into this, this uh, punk kid and I started getting in trouble. I started fighting I started flunking and I just, I really, a part of me really died inside in the school system and, you know, kind of fast forward that I, high school, whatever, I just class clown, party animal, blacking out drunk every weekend, taking shots in the back of classrooms just to be funny. I mean, just literally going nowhere fast. All my teachers would tell me, you know, you need to stop. You're not really going to make anything of yourself. And then something just really switched for me. I was working at Kmart. <laughs> Kmart was my wow, classic. job. Yeah. And I <laughs> I got into a, I was driving home from Vegas to go to work and, and our friends got into a car crash and I called my manager and let her know I was going to be late. And she basically, you know, our car had, had kind of fishtailed and I had a little bit of rope, like rash burn on my neck. And she basically was like, better not be late. I was like, damn. And I, and I got there and I was kind of hurting. It kind of hurt to move. And I remember overhearing her talking poorly about me to other employees and that was just something that snapped to me. And I had just fucking shoot. Sorry. I had just freaking had it. And I, I ripped my lanyard off and I threw it down at her feet. And I said, you know, I quit. And I, and I walked out and I'm like, what did I just do? But there was just this, this fire in me. And I, I started personal training. I was, a, I was teaching dance at the time. Actually, I was a hip hop instructor for a very early part of my life. I loved it. Um, so I, I started teaching classes everywhere I could. I started any anything I could do, I would. I was on the, before spam on Instagram happened. I was spamming on Instagram. <laughs> I was. You couldn't even copy and paste messages, but I was going through the explore page and I was messaging every single person I could. Hey, you look great. Can I write you a meal plan? Can I write you a workout plan? And I mean, just for hours when I worked at the Boys and Girls Club. Now, just anything I could do to get fifty bucks, twenty five bucks. Um, and then I kind of found myself in this weird conundrum that most people find themselves in, whereas I was chasing money so much that I had no time. And paradoxically, I also had no money. Hmm. So I found myself in the rat race where you have no time to give because if you stop the gas, you have this fear that you won't make enough and survive. 
and you keep yourself in this scarcity mode where you can't sit down and actually think for yourself. And then something again, just kind of snapped. I got a job at this guy's gym as a personal trainer. And that's a whole other story in itself. But we ended up opening a bigger gym. He was probably the worst boss I've ever experienced. I haven't experienced many bosses, but he was the last boss that I experienced. And he ended up firing all the trainers overnight in a group text. And then that was when I was like, shit, I either... Like I, it wasn't even a thought of like, I should go back to these other stable jobs. It was, I need to find a spot. I need to open it so I can keep training my clients. And then that's, that's when the gym emerged, you know, and it wasn't this, you know, amazingly industrial sized gym, but it was a gym and it was functional and we had trainers and we saved the company and we had that for about three and a half years before I made the decision to go online full time, because I realized that was another big paradigm shift for me was that I I looked 50 years in the future and I still saw myself at this gym in this small town. And I also was like the man because out of all my friends, like I owned the business, I owned, I was making good money and there was no growth happening anymore. And so I, I made the decision in like 30 days, I closed the gym down. I sold all the equipment and I moved to downtown San Diego. So in the span of two weeks, my income went down about 70% and my living expenses doubled. And so I sat there and I was like, I have, I have two months to make this work or I'm homeless. And then about a year, about a year of me going all in on that was when I was actually finally like looked back at my bank account and realized, holy shit, I can buy a house. And then one year of being fully on my own, I was able to get handed the keys to the first house I had ever lived in in my entire life. And that was just such an incredible experience. And, you know, from there, the company really scaled out large. Um, and I found myself in Texas with a, with a partner at the time. And that was just an in incredibly toxic relationship. I mean, we were both just doing horrible things and really lost myself and realized that I was building up my business all from this energetic place of self-hate and trying to become, you know, having this worth tied to how much money it was generated and how successful it was, because I thought that was what would make me feel better, make my partner love me and, you know, all of these things. And once that all came to a head, um, I couldn't unsee it. And I dissolved the business, walked away from it and realized I want to make sure because I it, it, it ended with me almost killing myself. Wow. I had a gun. I had a gun to my head in the backyard at 3 a.m. because I, I didn't see a way out. And I was just so ashamed and I was so lost. And I, I, I had just been on edge for two years straight. And it just the whole thought was, man, if I pulled this trigger, it would just be like five seconds of peace. And something told me in the back of my head when I put that gun up, just said, no, like I thought somebody was behind me and uh, nobody was there. Wait, and did you hear I, an audible voice? I heard an audible voice that was like, no, just was super it, nonchalant, nonchalant. Nope. Was it your voice? Like not internal dialogue. Cause I, the only reason why I'm asking this, but I, I had a near death experience in Everest and mm. it, it wasn't, I wasn't doing that, but it was my voice outside myself. Except for this actually wasn't helping me out. This was telling me to go to sleep, but just like, what the hell? Wow. <laughs> so, that's, so crazy. Up. that's crazy that it was an audible voice. So, so you were serious. 
Yeah. I mean, it was, I thought I, it shook me out of it to where I, I turned around behind me to like, is somebody in my backyard? Wow. And nobody was there. And I got this massive like shiver up my spine and, and just something was like, I guess I'll go back to bed. And then it got uh, the, the breakup after that, it got really bad. I mean, we both well, had social. Go ahead. I just want to go back to that. Cause it's interesting. So at this point you're really successful. No, I'm very, I'm very rich. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you've made a lot of money. So on paper successful. Yes. On on paper, perfect house, perfect girl, got the dogs, got the, got the supercar, got the bank account, got it all. Wow. And you just, so, so you have that. Okay. External materialism dialed Mm -hmm. in, which is nice. So when you don't have it, you're like, yo, I'm driving this shitty car or I'm struggling with this. Life is rough. Um, but you have all those things. So where did the, uh, I guess pain come from for you where you're like, I can't stand this living. I think, and this is why, you know, when I almost killed myself, I kind of had this revelation of, I need to dedicate the rest of my life, making sure nobody ever even comes close to what I just did. And like, even in the sense of building what I built and then realizing you had to tear it all down and all of these. So what I, what I realized was that I had built this massive company and these loyal follow, loyal followers and clients because I was operating from this place of lack. I was operating from this place of scarcity. So I was trying to be everything for everybody. And I had no boundaries for myself. So I, I built this entire business off of codependency. All of my clients were codependent on me, FaceTiming me in the middle of the night, texting me whenever anything happened. And I was fine with it because it was allowing me to not pay attention to what was going on in my actual life with my partner at the time. And, you know, there were a lot of red flags that I had ignored and I, all my non-negotiables became negotiable and she cheated then I cheated. And then neither of us knew, but we kind of knew. So it just kept going more and more and more. And, uh, you know, eventually it all just, it just all blew up. And I, I just looked at that entire life as a whole. And it was a massive ego death because it was my, my whole identity was attached to this life that I had, all the friends that I had, all the clients that I had, and literally overnight it was gone. And that was, that was so, I I don't even want to say it was bad, but at the time it just felt like, it felt like death. And so I felt death, real death was an easier option. Um, I think I might have gotten a little off of what the question you asked was. I think we were just talking about your origin story. And then I made a comment. <laughs> you, asked, you asked a question of like, I had the maturity. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Was... So what, like, where did the agony come from? Mm. Like you have all this thing and you, you're just like in such pain that you're yeah. like, you know what? It's going to be easier for me to just stop this. Yeah. I think the pain came from me knowing that I was sacrificing who I was meant to be as a man because I was too afraid to let go of the story that I had created for myself. So I was enduring so many things that I should not have endured because one, I convinced myself I deserved it because I was kind of doing the same thing. And every single thing I built in the business was a desperate attempt to escape the pain that I felt in myself and in this relationship. So, and this is why I'm big on business energetics, because if it's the energy going in when you build, then it's going to be the energy there in the final product. 
So it's just going to keep creating this loop system, you know? And I think a lot of people think money is going to solve the problem. Money just amplifies the current state that you're in. So if you're scarce and you get, so let's just say you're stuck in scarcity. And if I hand you a check for $50,000, now you just have more to be scarce with. You're either going to panic spend the whole thing, or you're going to immediately put it in a savings account and never touch it, which means it's basically like you never got it in the first place. So money just amplifies the state. It doesn't actually change the state. So I didn't realize this. So I just kept chasing money. And I was like, well, maybe when I get to this point, it'll all feel good. And that point just never came. Got it. Wow. Well, that's powerful, man. And and it's amazing that you went through that process at such a young age to discover that because many people never get to the point of figuring that out. Mm. And often it's it's very uh, much later in their lives. And that's why people go through the midlife crisis. So it seems like right. you had that in the 20s. And so- Quarter life, quarter life crisis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's all happening faster now. Right. So yeah. ideally we're figuring things out. And so, okay. So I'd be curious now from, from what you teach and, and coach and educate on you're more successful in your business. And so when you are speaking about passion and creating a business, the first challenge that people have is, uh, well, if you're young, you're trying to not to speak for everyone, but you know, make money, have some security, maybe do some traveling. And I'm just speaking mm-hmm. for how I was as a young man, Sure. Or, or maybe you're trying to buy a house or whatever. Then you get a little bit old and you have a family and then you have responsibilities. So you do need to support them. And so you have this balance of, well, I've got this one secure route. And I always use an analogy of something like uh, insurance sales mm-hmm. will always be there, <laughs> you know, banking, it's always there. So you can make the money. But what's happening with most people, I think, is it was very powerful what you said is uh, sacrificing who you were to be, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than this identity or who you built yourself up to be, you're sacrificing who you truly were. And I think a lot of people do that on a micro scale. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they're not really honest with themselves, who they are, what, what they know they're capable of. And so if they're just doing it a little bit, they don't have enough pain that you experienced to make a big shift, to have that literal ego death and almost death. You know, I have to change this. And so go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say it's, I I think I'm going to, um, butcher the name of this, but I believe it's it's known as the distance beta paradox. And basically what this paradox means in our psych is that if it's less than one mile, you'll walk. And if it's over two miles, you'll drive. And so the paradox is you'll actually travel two miles faster than you'll travel one. And how we put this in our psych is if the problem is big enough, you'll actually make the change to get out of it faster. So the worst thing that can happen for you is actually being somewhere where it's not bad enough for you to escape it because you'll stay in it longer and it'll do more damage. So if you're in a, in a relationship and you're not really fulfilled or you're in a job and you're not totally fulfilled, but you're getting a good paycheck, maybe the sex is good versus if they were super abusive or you had an awful boss, that's actually better for you because you'll say, I'm done, I'm out of here, and you'll make the change significantly faster. So we have this weird paradox in our psych where if things are okay, but not amazing, we'll allow it to drain our life force every single day. And then eventually we actually get too tired and too exhausted to make the change in the first place. Yeah. Well, I've never heard that before. I really love that analogy and I'll look into it so I can understand it better. The, the, 
I, distance I'm, beta paradox. If that's what it is, we'll figure distance it out. Distance doesn't seem distance doesn't seem like the right word. <laughs> we'll find it. And even with my show, I was like, I'll, I have a quote. I'm like, enough. you got to go find this and Close verify enough. everything for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So when someone is is thinking about the transition, right? They want to move towards more of what their passion is. They're not sure how to make a business out of it or what they're going to get out of it. Um, I feel like there's there's something to be said about the value of security, especially now that I'm a father mm. and you want to be able to make sure that you can pay rent and get some things sure. in a row. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think that most people want to sacrifice like who they are and work a terrible job. You know what I mean? Mm. And so, you know, the example I can give is one of my friends, uh, amazing guy, you know, one of the best people I know on earth, he has a job and we'll just leave out what that job is. It's a fine job. And he likes, he likes it. And we were chatting once uh, a few years ago. And he said, I said, well, how are things? And, he, and we hadn't seen each other in a bit. And he goes, you know, I haven't done anything in a while where I'm proud of myself for. Wow. Like, oh, wow. That's interesting. And I said, well, buddy, you know, you, you're working to provide for your family. I think that's a beautiful thing. You've got some mm-hmm. kids and you're providing for them. And we, we can brainstorm right now some ideas that would light you up, you know what I mean, to to move in this direction. And, you know, unfortunately, since then, he hasn't taken any action. And at the gym that I had, there's a person there who's a co-owner of the gym, uh, also mechanic, you know, or works, works with cars and things like that, did the exact same process, but liked working on his own cars. Now he has this, you know, main business that's only building the cars that he wants, that it mm-hmm. really fulfills him. Um, it's yeah. the same transitionary thing. And, I, and what I was trying to relate to my friend was it was a little bit over time. It was a, it's a little bit of action over time. You don't have to explode where you are. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? But you got to get clear. That's the thing. You need enough space to get clear first. And I'd be curious how you walk people through that process and help them. You know, the other big thing is like self-sabotage and no. imposterism and all those things. I know you talk about that. So I'd love to hear your thoughts I've on those things. Yeah. I've got a couple rabbit holes I can go in through here for sure. Um, one, I actually don't think self-sabotage actually exists. So let me tell you why first. And then I, want, I do, I do want to get into the process because I've worked with a lot of people. I've actually created a six step process that everybody goes through that I've observed. Um, but the, the subconscious is a very unique part of our brain and it pretty much runs our life, you know, and, and whether you're biblical or not, we'll just use it for reference. They say, you know, God created us in his power. Right. And so we're co-creators of our reality because we have God's power inside of us. So it's the question becomes, well, which part of us is creator and which part of us is co-creator hmm? co-creator. We can see that's our conscious self. That's you and me here right now. Creator is subconscious. Subconscious is what I would deem as the God's power because it's there. You can't see it. You can't feel it. You can only experience it. And you don't realize you're experiencing it until you actually become aware that that's what you're experiencing in the first place. So your subconscious is very literal. It takes everything you say extremely serious. So when people say all of these negative things about themselves, jokingly, your subconscious thinks it's a matter of fact. And let's use your subconscious as a, in this example, we'll use it as a little boy, right? Let's say your son, or you have a daughter or son. Daughter. Okay. So let's say your daughter overhears you and I, and your daughter's your subconscious. She overhears you and I right now talking to this and you're like, you know, you're pissed and you're like, all I want is my car clean. That's all I want. I just want my car clean. I'm pissed. I just want my car clean. So she's going to go, well, I love dad. I don't know how to clean a car, but I'm going to go clean his car because that's what he asked me to do. Right. That's what he said to do. 
And so she doesn't know how to clean a car. So maybe she goes under the sink, she pulls out like steel wool and bleach and she goes and she just destroys your paint job. You walk out of the door and you see the car. And the first thing you do is yell. And you're like, why would you do that? I can't understand why you think that's a good idea. That's the worst thing that ever happened. You ruined the car. That's not what I want. She, she goes back upstairs. And now this like need to clean the car right comes into play. So she's going to just keep cleaning that car over and over and over and making you more and more mad until you actually can realize and be humorous and say, wow, you know what? Like, <laughs> that's actually exactly what I asked for. Thank you. Let's do it this way now. So when we say self-sabotage, we're actually creating more of a gap between conscious and subconscious. We're actually putting a lot of shame and guilt on our subconscious for trying to create the reality that we told it to create for ourselves. So when you can actually look at it and, and be a little bit more playful. I know that's really hard when somebody's stuck in scarcity, but how many times do people tell themselves a story? Well, and the, I can't tell you the amount of entrepreneurs, Matt, that I work with that are saying, you know, well, I'm, I can't get past 10K a month. I can't get past 10K a month. The second I put them in a, in a hypnotherapy session, because I'll do that for people, and I bring them back to the very first time they've talked about their business, what is the demand that they put in? They say, I just want to make 10K a month in my business. If I just made 10K a month, I'd be good. So what happens? They're, they achieved this 10K a month, and now all they're doing is getting upset at the fact that they're only making 10K a month. So your subconscious is like a little kid. It's like, well, that's what you said you wanted. So I'm going to keep you here until you finally can say, good job, buddy. That's what I wanted. And now my subconscious is saying, what do you want me to do next? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I love that analogy. It's similar to one that I share. You know, I say when you're talking to your internal dialogue or your subconscious, treat it like a seven-year-old, mm -hmm. you know, and that's how it understands things. You know, it's very literal and it's very innocent. And, mm -hmm. you know, when, when my daughter messes up, she's very tiny. Last thing that I want to do is traumatize her with my anger about a situation, right? right? And this is it because they don't have the full understanding. And I feel like it's the same with the subconscious. And I would love to hear, uh, you know, and there's so much work on this idea. There's Dr. Joe Dispenza in the placebo effect. There's Dr. Bruce Lipton, there's sports psychology, there's hypnosis, there's all kinds of information about how the subconscious is always running. So I appreciate your point of view on that. It's a little bit different than I've heard. I'd be curious if you can share like your six step process. Cause I feel like it, what, yeah. what that will link back to is also self-worth when mm -hmm. I work with athletes a lot, you know, I would, I, I would say in this case, there's it's similar to self-sabotage. I don't know how you'd reframe it, but often, you know, athletes, which is, which was interesting, they wouldn't come when they wanted to be the best, right? Like um, sports psychology still really hasn't hit the mainstream, but they would come when they're getting second and they should be the best. Mm -hmm. That's most of the people that I work with. They had everything that it took, but now they're asking for my help because either a, they crash in extreme sports, uh, doing freestyle motocross or something really intense where you only do that once. And you're like, no more. Yeah, Cause uh, yeah, like I don't need to be hospitalized, killed or paralyzed mm. for this. I need to do everything I can to keep myself safe. And right. what, what happened most of the time is I found it was around self-worth, right? Mm -hmm. Where they, their idea or that subconscious idea in their mind is they weren't good enough to be first. So right. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that self-worth and then maybe peeling into the process. And then, and then if you have the ideas, how do we program it to say, okay, this is the new command. If you're going to wash my car, 
do it with some nice wax. You know what sure. I mean? Because <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, lo- yeah. I love that. That's what yeah, we need. Definitely. So my, I think I'll start with the with the six step process, and then most people listening, you you can probably figure out where you are on this spectrum because anybody, from what I've observed, anybody is in one of these six stages at any point in time. The first two can kind of collab together, but it's like any anything about having a problem, right? Stage one is awareness. Stage two is acceptance. Once we have those two things really paired together, and there's a lot of depth to those two stages, we go into the stage of awakening. And this is where most people kind of realize, man, the things that I thought mattered no longer matter. And they start kind of seeing the world a different way. And usually awareness and acceptance, I'm talking awareness of your current situation. We bring awareness to past traumas. We accept them. We heal from them. We release them. And then from there, that's when the soul really starts to wake up. That's when the ego really starts to turn the dial down just a little bit. And and our soul starts to wake up and say, holy shit, this is why I went through all of that. Because I'm the only person who was built, you know, and and anybody, just a little side motivational rant here real quick, because a lot of people Mm -hmm. don't think that they're worthy because of the things that they've been through. I think that it is crazy to think about every person who's here, yourself included, myself included, it's like how, how close we've all been to not making it. And for some reason you did, for some reason, the things that you've gone through that a lot of other people don't make it through, but you did. And there's a reason for that. And I truly believe that's because your soul is powerful. And it chose to come down here and experience what you've experienced from because you were meant to heal from it and then help others from that. So a lot of times when we go through the shit in our past, we keep it to ourselves because we're shame, guilt, embarrassed. We don't want people to judge us. And then it it rips us. And then we just keep replaying that past over and over and over again. And we wonder why we're in this cycle of self-sabotage. Right. It's like your subconscious is like, I'm going to keep giving this to you until you realize what's happening. So when you finally realize there's only one person on the planet who could have gone through what you've gone through and stood where you stood right now, and that person is you, there's got to be a reason for that. And I think that if you don't share and heal what you've gone through and share it with people to help them, then everything you've gone through is for nothing. All the pain, all the all the loss, every everything you've done, it's it's worthless. And that I can't accept for people. It keeps me up at night. So long-winded way, that's awakening. You awaken to who you are, your purpose, what you're obsessed with, what you hate, what you're here to heal, who you're here to help. From there, we have application because that awakening is very overwhelming. Like I have all these new ideas, all these new thoughts. What I used to do no longer matters. Like, how do I do this? So that's where, you know, we come in with the mastermind and we give people the tools to figure out these steps and then learn how to apply them and how to create a business if that's what they want to do. Not everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur. And I think that that gets really lost in society. I think a lot of people think that there's something wrong with them if they don't start a business. Businesses need employees in order to be successful. So you can still be a part of a large vision without owning the company, just so everybody's clear on that. I think there's a lot of weird shame around not being a business owner now. Um, And then after the application, stuff starts to happen really fast. And this is where ascension comes into play. Stage five for me is ascension. And this is where you really step into your power. This is where you really realize, wow, this is what I was meant to do. Business energetics are aligned. 
your messaging is perfect. You know who you are, who you're meant to help, and nobody can tell you otherwise. And then that segues you into step six, which is abundance. And that's when leads are coming in, money's coming in, wealth. This is wealth. There's a difference between people being rich and people being wealthy. And I think that this is the six steps. Uh, I call it straight A leadership, um, how to become the 4.0 CEO. They're all A's, like school. You know, I'm just, I'm, I like to, anyways. Um, and that's that's kind of the path that I've seen every person I've ever worked with go on, myself included. That's amazing, man. I love that process. And I feel like the way you added a little tidbit for each one is is really the process. It's almost like the the same process, but different for when you go through the stages of grief and dying, you know, mm-hmm. that awareness. And the awakening is is the biggest issue. And exploring some psychedelics and plant medicine and watching how ayahuasca became popular. And I had experienced that before it did and watching it become mainstream. And at first I was all for that plant medicine. I was like a big cheerleader. And then after a bit, I, I changed my perspective because I felt like a lot of people weren't able to get to this next stage of application you know, became this thing where you're like, okay, great. I'm going to go do this, but the application was too hard or they weren't committed. It's like this very powerful experience that they might not be ready to integrate. And so, you know, I feel like the application is very challenging for a lot of people. They can get to the awakening point, but to start to get to application and stay there, I feel like is a big challenge for a lot of people. I I actually will um, add a little notion here because I actually find that and you know, this isn't to say that I'm a messiah or anything like that, but I find that a lot of people now use psychedelics and plant medicines as an excuse to remain unconscious Mm. because the plant medicine can show you what needs your attention, but it can't fix it for you. So most of these people are going because it's the new woke thing to do. Oh, I did ayahuasca. And right. So now it's like, I'm woke and I'm, I don't have an ego anymore. And, you know, people are, are skipping a lot of steps and going straight to that because they think that's going to solve all their problems, you know, and they, oh, I did this ayahuasca retreat and I saw this trauma from my past and now it all makes sense. And if they're skipping steps in the process, it crumbles because they'll start to have the awareness. Oh, now see, they actually think they're awoken, but they actually just got the first step, which is awareness. And they're, and they're, they're hopping steps because they're not understanding the process. And this is what I just see that a lot with people. People will jump to ceremony to ceremony as a, as a means to kind of show that they're doing the work and it becomes an excuse to continue to remain unconscious. Yeah, a hundred percent. Well, I, I agree with that insight and I began to observe it in various yeah. ways over the years as it, as yeah. it became more popular. Uh, so yeah, I totally agree with that. It can be used as a powerful tool yeah. and there are some challenges with it. And I can't tell you how many people I met at festivals that had gone through that had lived a life where maybe it was unconscious, materialism mm-hmm. driven, right? And then they had that experience and they saw this whole new world. And now- they do become this essentially enlightened being and Messiah. Right. And you just, because you've seen it over and over, you're just kind of compassionate and you're listening. And then you're like, well, then 10 minutes later, there's another one. And you know, it's like spiritual ego is a powerful one. People don't realize that spiritual ego is a, another powerful one. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, so oh, they're like, ah, I don't have an ego anymore. Cause I did ayahuasca. You're like, 
who's the I that you're comparing that to in the first place? Like that's your ego. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then you see a few years later where they'll have the challenges, you know, and, and, you know, again, it's for each person you want to honor and respect their process. And it's just mm-hmm. a trap to be aware of. That's all sure. right. It's it, it can be so mind opening and profound and you want to make sure you're integrating, like you said, going through this process. And that's why there's this commitment and there's this respect mm-hmm. and there's this reverence. If you want to do something like that. Yeah. And when I was interviewed on a, on a panel about psychedelics, because I was more about it before I got interviewed on the panel, then I was sharing some of these uh, challenges uh, what I was saying is like you, what you really want is a connection with God, I think, or figuring mm-hmm. out what is it that yeah. you're seeking? What is it? Yeah. What is it? What is it that you want from this experience? And could you exercise all of your will and prayer to something divine? And I think that it's very helpful to believe in a creator or God or whatever that is. Sure. And, you know, in uh, Eastern cultures, they refer to as the Tao, but I, to me, it's a much more empowering experience to think that God created me. And as you said, God's power is within me. I love that. And mm-hmm. so that gives me more, um, uh, it makes me feel more powerful, more capable. And rather than the whole, you know, well, nothing matters. There's, there's no God, there's nothing special in me. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah. this, this, I don't know. See, I think that's where, and I don't, I don't know if this might be too polarizing of a topic or not um, to talk about kind of religion and how that's really pushed a lot of people away from God. And I think God can be anything that a person needs God to be in order to have that faith. But when you really realize, you know, what is God essentially is unconditional love. And God is actually like all of us, we are just God experiencing itself in our form, right? So I am a version of God experiencing himself. And in order to have unconditional love, you need to create conditions in which you love yourself through. So when you're looking at all of these people who are doing these really bad things, it's kind of hard once you once you have felt God experiencing Himself through you to love Himself unconditionally. It's it's really hard to see people doing you know horrible things, and you know maybe not hard, but there's a different lens you look through when you realize well unconditional love can't exist without conditions. So what if these people doing these awful things, doing these murders, doing these things, what if it actually is just another version of God learning to love himself unconditionally? Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's one of the, yeah. One of the questions I like to ask people is like, why do you think that there's so much, uh, pain on the planet, right? Why is there so much horror? It's something that I've never mm-hmm. really understood. So I feel like that is your answer to that, but I'll add, yeah. would you, would you ask that? It's like God learning to love himself through the pain. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you look at, you look at religion, right? And that really we're in a society where you're, you're, we're really getting pulled away from being able to ask questions we get, we get really spoon fed the school system news, everything like, Hey, this is, this is how you're supposed to think religion. This is how you think you ask questions. You're like, you're going to hell. You know, that's where most religions come from. But you, you ask this one question, you say, you know, okay, well, if, if, if God is, is God, you know, the, the, the big guy upstairs, who's all powerful and, you know, any religion, God's almighty, nobody can hold a flame to him at all. Well, then how is it possible that the devil even exists? 
how is it possible if God is all powerful and controls all of existence ever? How is it possible that there is a force that can oppose him? Unless God chose for that to be there so that there was another condition for him to be able to love himself through. You know, there's just, they're just questions. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's really interesting. And, um, the devil, that's an interesting one because (laughs) I, when I study some of the more darker stuff, there are people that actually worship the devil that do these crazy things and believe in the devil inherently. And as I've continued my research and spiritual journey, my current perspective is that it's the idea to choose God in your own free will, because if we have free will here, we have free will here, right? If everybody has free will, well, then you would must have the free will to do evil. So mm-hmm. it is your choice to choose God, creation, unconditional love, compassion, kindness, acceptance, or the opposite. And materialism lends into that kind of satanic mm-hmm. pull of conquering. And when you look at some of the claims of Satanism and secret societies, one of the views I heard was that they believe they're wolves among sheep. So mm. if you have this mindset where you're a wolf, you could take everything. And this is another idea that I've heard where if you, if you remove all compassion, you could do anything you want to another person. Mm-hmm. And you see people in this world operate like that, but sure. that, that choice for them is theirs. And as you see the opposite, you get to choose through your own free will, how you're going to act. And that's always up to you, mm-hmm. what you do for your livelihood, how you treat other people, um, you know, basically everything, nobody can really force you to do a very bad thing. You know what I mean? And so that's this idea of almost like tarnishing your soul. And I've given the example of they can poison your food in water and they do, they can poison your mind through all the nonsense on TV Mm -hmm. and they do uh, music and they do, but you have to poison your own soul through stupid ass choices that you make. And you can either learn from those, right. And God's grace or whatever you want to say that is always there. It's always Mm -hmm. available. And I've seen people too make this big shift where they realized it and they mm-hmm. were in an unconscious way. They were unconscious as they moved through. It was just their programming. Their up, they they sure. were never aware that it was even a bad thing. And mm-hmm. then it hit them and it was like this whole nother lens of, oh my goodness, what did I do? And now what will I do now? Yeah. And uh, there's a very fascinating thing to observe in people. Yeah, I think that that's just a really good thing for a lot of people to hyper focus on is you know we we have this very large attachment to time in terms of well i've you know i've been this way for 30 years i can't just change or i've had this this negative habit for 10 years how can i just stop it well how would you start it you know and I, I have a very interesting argument for my followers around time in general i i have an argument that time actually doesn't exist i actually believe that we created time i don't think we discovered time um let me tell you why there is actually this indigenous tribe that we have researched for hundreds of years they're known as the it's either the hopi or the hopi tribe hopi hopi tribe okay so you're familiar with it yeah have you talked about this? I don't want to be redundant on your No, podcast. no, I haven't. I just have a friend who's been on oh. who's from the Hopi tribe. Oh, okay. So their language has no depictions, references, or other incarnations that have anything to do with time. So therefore, in their own reality, time does not exist. And that that when I discovered that, that was a really 
I mean, I, <laughs> my partner can tell you, I'm on the couch reading this book and I'm, I'm in shambles. I'm like, holy shit. So now how can, how could time exist for them and exist for not exist for them and exist for us? They can't say something's taking forever. They can't be late. They can't be rushed. They can't be impatient. They can't say, I'll do it. You know, I'll do it tomorrow, or this is going to take hours. None of those references exist because time doesn't exist in their language. So now the questions really become, are, are they right? Are we right? Are we both right? Or are we both wrong? And I think that's really fascinating because when you see these people who say, I've been this way for 10 years, I can't change. Well, what would somebody in the Hopi tribe do? If somebody just said, hey, you can't do that anymore. There's no concept of time. They just say, okay, I didn't realize. And then they just change in an instant. Most people's lives, they talk about you know, time. How, how do I heal from this? Well, it takes time. Does it? Does healing actually take time or does deciding to finally heal take the time? Because the second that you choose is when your life changes, not, not anything leading up to it. So it really just it comes down to how long a person is willing to wait before they choose is what I've observed. Hmm. Those are interesting. Well, I love the idea of time. Uh, going to the Vatican, actually, they change the calendars. And when you get into some deep history research <laughs> anyway, there are all kinds of weird things around time and how time's got messed up from the days of the week. And when I trained and uh, studied with the indigenous elders, their thought process is that the earth is 20,000 years old. When I was in Egypt in the pyramids, they believe they're at least 10 to 12,000 years old because they can prove that there's uh, water uh, corrosion on it. So they're older. So time is a weird thing. And one of the examples I like to share with people is like, try to imagine in your mind, uh, you know, a year's worth of time and then imagine, you know, a year in one week, you know, imagine a year, one week in one day, imagine six years. And, and maybe it's your from 10 to 15. Like, how does that feel in your memory? And mm. so when you go into Buddhism, things like that, they say, there's only now, there's only now, right. now, now. And when you go into a deep meditative state, you can experience a space, space of timelessness. That's you can also actually time travel as well. What do you mean by that? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> uh, like, you go on. Well, I was that. Well, let's was let's look at it like this. I, I put some, time is a lot different at a subconscious level. So if I'm working with an entrepreneur and they have this massive block from a trauma and I, I put them in a hypnotherapy session, they're fully subconscious, right? They're unconscious. Their subconscious is what I'm working with. And now I can actually take them back to a time when they were three years old and they can float into their body. They can see what they saw, hear what they heard, feel what they felt as if they're there, you know, and I, and I work with you. And sometimes it comes with them literally seeing it from that eye, that their eye view and, and audibly speaking to the person as if they're in that memory. So you can actually time travel at a subconscious level. So, you know, my, my view on time is very interesting because I've experienced and, and seen so many things that are just, I, I think that human beings have a tendency to try to make sense of things. We don't make that we can't make sense of to make ourselves feel intellectual. And I think it's just hysterical to think that we think we've mastered time by this little, you know, double a battery powered dial on our walls. Yeah. And I think the thing that you shared that I, that's powerful is not rushing 
everything, you know, your perception mm-hmm. of time being late, uh, doing it fast enough, you know, your framework around that. And one of my friends, Clifford Mahudi, who sadly passed was a uh, Zuni elder and he was always late. <laughs> he, he lived. We even had, you know, we set up the weekend to speak. Right. And he, I'm like, yo, Clifford, like, are you going to show up? Like you're supposed to, I was like, one of the organizers didn't know if was going to show up. You know, he just moved in his own reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe that, that explains why he never told me that. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. We could be, cause we could be always stressed about time. I'm one of those people where mm-hmm. I like to get to the point and it creates stress and anxiety, which is completely unnecessary. Um, mm. but there's a couple of things in here that, uh, was sent to me that I'd love for you to touch on because I think they'd be powerful insights. So one of them was, sure. uh, uh, finding your purpose in what you do by creating pillars that doesn't rely on passion. So what do you mean by that? Mm. Yeah. I love talking about passion. I, I actually think passion is one of the most dangerous things people can try to pursue because I think they get too, I've said I've been, you know, there's like a viral real audio of me saying this, but passion or a passion doesn't get you very far. You need to really establish an obsession with what you're doing because passion is fleeting. It can get stomped out. If you're just passionate, you know, one, one bad season of business is going to stomp you out. If you're obsessed, it doesn't really matter how many times you get beaten because you won't get defeated. There's a big difference. If I get beaten and I'm only passionate, I give up. So we we have to figure out what we're obsessed with in this world, you know. And obsession is just passion that's been reinforced over time with pain. And you can't derail somebody who's obsessed. If if I'm obsessed with, and, and this is where I think the awareness, the acceptance, and the awakening comes into play, and that's what I teach in the awakening phase. Is that's where you find out what you're obsessed with. So for me, it was like I almost ended my life. And I, and I saw everything I built and I was like, man, how many other people chase to be rich and forget to be wealthy and find themselves miserable? I'm obsessed with that message. You can't, I, I, my partner will go to the grocery store and somebody will talk to me about something. And the second somebody talks to me, my partner like throws her hands up. She knows I'm going to be there for 30 minutes, you know? And it's like, it's like, I am, I eat, sleep and breathe unlocking people's potential. I see anybody's potential. I, I've developed this, you call it a psychic gift, a divine gift, whatever you want to see it. I can look in somebody's eyes and I know exactly what is there. And I am obsessed with pulling that out of people. If I'm just passionate about pulling that out of people, well, then I start becoming a different person if I'm making a lot of money versus if I'm making a little bit of money. My process starts to change. I start to adapt based off of what's going on and, I, and I'm, I'm losing sight of my why. Does that make sense? They even have they even have a categorization. You can go to jail for a crime of passion because passions make you do stupid fucking things. Sorry. <laughs> I got passionate and I messed up. Right? But what does passion do? Passion makes you get into a fight. Passion makes you cheat on your spouse. Passion makes you do all of these things because you're caught in the moment and you're not obsessed with the with the long-term picture. So passion can make you act really reckless sometimes. Wow. Well, yeah, I love that. I've never heard that distinction before. And I think it's important because I had Chris Duffin on and he's a very successful entrepreneur, also a one of the strongest people who's ever lived, squatting and deadlifting a thousand pounds for reps. And more than I can do. Yeah. A, a amazing business guy, entrepreneur. And in it, I was asking about entrepreneurship and his tips for success. And, and uh, I was like, well, what do you, res- you know, recommend for entrepreneurs? And he's basically like, you know, 
if you, if they're like doubting themselves, like don't do it. He says like, you basically have to will yourself to, if you aren't willing to put absolutely everything into it, you know, and you just will not accept failure, then don't mm-hmm. do it. That's what it's going to take. And it's similar to what you're sharing about obsession. And yeah. I feel like that's what uh, a lot of people, why they fail because they have these expectations and their, their mission and their why and who they are isn't lined up. You got to know who you are. You got to know why you're doing what you're doing. It's got to mean something. Like if my daughter, if something is wrong with my daughter and there's fucking wolves, sorry, <laughs> there's wolves <laughs> and <laughs> bears, you know <laughs> what I mean? And uh, freaking huntsmen or I'm going to get through that. There's not going to be a hurdle that stops me. Mm-hmm. I get there or I die. It's It's not like there's an option and with your entrepreneurship endeavor or with your, your legacy or whatever it is, is I think it's a defining it because it's different for everyone. And I like how you said, not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur. If you like being a father, I now know this, and this is the way that I've shared it with my friends. Now at this point, if I have my goals and my dreams and what I'd like to achieve personally and what I'd like to give back to the world, that's one part of who I am Mm -hmm. and what I'd like to do. And I'd like to be as successful as possible and do the best job I can at that mission. Uh, the other side, if I can be a phenomenal father and that's all I do, I feel fulfilled and mm-hmm. good. And I feel like that's one thing that's not really promoted in our society is being a good father, being a good, um, yeah, being a good man, being a mm-hmm. good brother, being a good friend, being a good member of your community. That could be it. That could be your passion, but that's going to come back to you going through all the work that we talked about. So you know yourself, right? Maybe you're a kid's coach, right? Maybe you're mm-hmm. you're coaching the team. Maybe you're just there for your uncle when everyone else is being a total dick. You have no, it can be that small, right? Or it can be grand where as you go through this process, your vision and what you see you can do, your uh capabilities grow and then a new inspired thought will come in to lead you to the next thing that might be bigger. And then Mm -hmm. over time, months, years, and decades, all of a sudden, you know, you've, you've created something where people say, wow, what an amazing life. And you're like, yo, I did that from like the KFC guy. I think he started like 50. So you know what I mean? It's so crazy. And he's got this crazy, like a 50. Yeah. And he does, he has like from 50 to 60 and there's a, like a master piano person or something like that. And they started at like 40 or, or, or guitar Mm -hmm. player. Like I've heard these examples over and over. Oprah didn't even become Oprah until she was like 46. Really? didn't know that. Yeah. 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 Oh man. There are so many different you know, conversations, sparks that your whole spiel just, just brought up for me. It's really hard for me to pick one, but uh, one quote that came to me and I really love this quote and it says, you know, men would rather be envied for their material success than respected for their character. Mm. And that's really where we found ourselves in society is chasing status instead of chasing character, instead of chasing um, fortitude of who we are and the morals and the core values that we have for our lives. And it can be really easy to get lost as a man when you don't have that North Star. And this is where you said, right? My action or my intentions are here, but my actions are here. So now there's a disconnect. And now I stop trusting myself. Now I don't have self-worth. And now I have imposter syndrome. And I don't think that I'm enough. And you just continue to start stacking these things up. And then you even go in a society where it's not really um accepted for men to have emotions and be able to talk about these things so now a man feels ashamed if he feels lost because he's supposed to have this direction and you know we we do men's retreats about this same thing where it's like you sometimes men just need a place where they can cry and fucking scream you know and 
it's this this massive war on what it means to be a real masculine because everybody is so competitive everybody's trying to show that they're the better man or and then you know the real grounded masculine is a is a provider he's a giver he's a protector he's not a showboater and i think that that gets really lost in in social media and everything that we're talking about here and to go with what you said about you know not everybody needs to be a business owner the purpose the main role of the masculine the masculine this can be men or women the masculine is to be a giver a provider and a protector i think that people before before people want to start figuring out what their purpose is i think that it's really important for everybody and i myself included is to ask am i a giver or am i a taker and I think inherently when you ask that question, you're going to think that a giver a good is good and a taker is bad. And that's just not the case. They're just like the masculine feminine energies. They just kind of are. If if you're a giver, well, you can't be a giver unless there are takers. So it, you need both. And I think a lot of people give for the sake of being able to take something afterwards, which makes them an undercover taker. And so they're wondering why they're trying to act as a giver, but they feel so unaligned. People aren't trusting them and they can't seem to catch. And, you know, you're like, you see these, and I work with entrepreneurs, like, I don't get it. I'm giving all this free content and nobody's signing up. And I said, well, are you a giver or are you a taker? I just feel like I'm getting taken advantage of. Well, if you're a giver, then your, your whole purpose is to freely give. And I used to I used to really find myself in that place. I'd get really upset when I would do all of these things for people and they wouldn't do anything back to me. I felt very taken advantage of. I felt people were stealing from me. And then I realized, well, nobody can take from me what I choose to willingly give for free. So the more I gave from that space, the less I felt that my energetics really started to change around how I was giving. And crazy enough, I started getting like crazy. I love it. Yeah, no, I, I love that. It reminds me of, um, you know, working with David Lombear, we're just talking about giving without expectation. And we also don't listen without expectation. It's the same idea with listening. Mm. Most people are listening, waiting to talk. They, they, right. see, they say something, then they're listening and they're just waiting for all the things that you say rather than actually listening. And I've experienced that. I think there's only a few people in the world that just give to give without expectation. You know, and that's a really pure form of giving. And it also reminds me of the idea when you're talking about the men's thing and just the world we stay, we're in, it's very competitive. And mm -hmm. if we can move from competition to collaboration is a very powerful mm -hmm. thing. And you yeah. go from, you know, what I consider to be an awakened uh, man or woman is sure. they, they stop thinking about what I can get to what I can give, you know, yeah. like, how can I get this? How can I get this? But if you're thinking about how can I serve or what, how can I bring value to others? And one of my most successful friends, he's like, you know, he's, I wouldn't say he's the most spiritual guy. He's kind of spiritual, uh, but he just has this one thing, right. And he goes, you know, I just try to create value for people. It's like mm -hmm. every day I, I listen to them. He's great at business. Business is solving needs and problems, right? Mm -hmm. And he goes, I listen and I and I figure out what their needs are and I just create value. So if you need help with that problem, I'm your guy. And that's a beautiful thing. And because of that, he receives a lot, right? Yeah. But but he's he's not doing it just to get, you know what I mean? He's like, I'm not doing this just to get something. He's like, I want to create value. So like if you got the lemonade stand as a kid, right? Thank mm -hmm. you for that lemonade stand. I do want the lemonade at this moment. Sometimes you don't because it's a kid's station, but you're receiving something, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I feel like that's, it's a pure, like when you talk about energetics, it is the energetic of it. Or if it's like, 
Can, yeah. You have what I need, but you also seem skeezy. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you can sense that, you know, you have exactly what I need, but you seem like a skeezy bugger. Well, there's so I don't want it. <laughs> there's, there's neediness when people are operating from lack, you know, and, and in our, in our uh, mastermind, I audit a lot of their sales calls and you can tell when somebody needs the sell, you can tell when they're frantic, you can tell when they're trying to over deliver and over hype their program instead of just having a genuine conversation and saying like, what's the problem you want solved? Okay, cool. If I can solve that for you, is this the program for you? Cool. I I can solve that for you. This is how much it costs, you know. And then it turns into, well, you know, I do all of this and I do all of that, and I, I really go over this. High. And if you if you need my number, here's this. I'll give this all to you. And it just it, the you can see the massive difference in dynamics, and we do it in our lives. We see this a lot between men and women in relationships, and now we're having this very big awakening of the feminine i don't know if you've observed this in society women are becoming very powerful they're really stepping into themselves and they're starting to have real standards for men to step up and men collectively are are, you know so unfair women only want men who are successful and have money and are buff and don't care about them and well it's you look at it like an animal kingdom here my brothers the the more the the males who can provide the more stability and security are always going to you know win so to speak and it's just it's this very interesting dynamic i've observed and how wounded our masculine really is where the second that there's a demand for us to finally step up and heal and do some work instead of you know maybe belittling women to keep them small so that we can be powerful over them it's like men kind of lose their minds and I think that going back to what we talked about, the real masculine man is a giver. He's a provider. It's a, it's an honor for him to serve his woman. It's an honor for him to be able to provide livelihood for his woman and make it so she doesn't have to ever work a day in her life, but he encourages her to still build her empire. You know, my my partner, she's got her own business and her own thing. And I, I am honored to be able to provide financial security so that she never has to feel scarcity in anything she's creating. You know, she's creating purely because she wants to expand her capacity of love while she's here instead of creating out of scarcity. And if I have the honor to be able to provide that for my partner and also make myself more emotionally available to hold space for her and make her feel like that divine goddess that is that is the purest honor that a man can have and so it's really crazy to see how men are throwing these fits almost because they finally have to stand up but that's a a massive wound that we all need to do better at healing in society in my opinion yeah i agree well i've looked into both of those things pretty in depth and there in my opinion there's a lot of evidence there's been a lot of war on men you know, yeah. emasculating men, toxic oh, yeah. masculinity, this and that. And the whole feminist movement, uh, if you look into that, you realize it, it's toxic masculinity. And at the beginning of it, what they wanted to do, and this is part of it per se, they wanted to get more women in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And so now you've got, if you want to be a successful woman and work in business, go for it. However, before that, and this is where it gets into maybe more because yeah, I've been getting more into the Bible recently because of the law summon in that book. Now, not specifically because it's Christian or anything like that, because it's that book, but then also in other cultures as well, it's the value of the family unit. 
And mm-hmm. I have also studied war a lot. So guess who the protectors are? It is the men in the right. Native American communities. They have a council of grandmothers who send the men to war, strong men who defend their communities and their children. And when I look at the world and I see some of this horrible stuff, I say, where are the men? You're scared mm-hmm. of what people will say rather than protecting children. Now for my life, you know, I'm like, okay, yeah, women in the workplace, great. But then I'm like, holy, I'm a little bit older now. There's nothing more beautiful than a strong family, good kids. Mm-hmm. And, and the mother, I don't want you know my wife to have to go to work if she doesn't want to. I, if she can be exactly. at home with the kids, because guess who raises the kids? The mm-hmm. state does. That school system does. And whatever that school system wants to engineer, they engineer. So they want to fluff up women and say, oh, you should be out in the workforce doing this. If you want to do that, go for it. You should have equal rights, equal opportunity, equal all those things, 100%. And if you want to grow a family and be supported you know, and be the best mother and, and do both or do one, whatever you want to do. But from what I've seen and when I look at now families that I respect, it, they have loving relationships. They are bringing up high quality kids that mm-hmm. are going to kick some ass in this world. I, it is a strong unit of safety, of support, of, uh, you know, and then that's how that builds up to communities. And I've seen that in sports and teams, a strong family leads to small, strong communities, strong townships, and everybody thrives in that. But it starts with the family. When the family gets dysfunctional, all of this other stuff starts to happen. So mm-hmm. it's a big, huge topic we go down the rabbit hole on, but that's just my yeah. two cents. Yeah, you know, and and just kind of reinforcing your whole there's a there's an attack on on the masculine. You know, you, you see this in in cultures and masculinity porn, but to you know go up against your thing of like women needing to now be very aggressive in the workspace. Well, what's more damaging to a man in society than not knowing how to interact with a feminine in a healthy way? A man's first relationship with the woman is with his mother. So if mother is never around and is constantly neglecting him and constantly, now he becomes needy. And now the masculine gives all of his power away and he starts becoming this lower self. He doesn't have confidence in himself. He doesn't know how to take charge in a healthy way. It starts becoming belittling. It starts becoming um, very controlling, very narcissistic to get women to stay with him because he doesn't know how to engage. And now these, you see, I mean, this is, everywhere in men now and i was one of them so i understand you know i'm not i'm not shooting blanks here i've lived this i've been very wounded and i'm still healing you know i have but i've been in very codependent relationships i've had wounds with my mother that came up in every relationship that i was not aware of and it was a massive attack on my masculinity until i really had that awareness and the acceptance and then had that awakening right i i really came into who i am and we don't have enough resources to help men do that anymore. We just have resources that are really taking, I, I think most things, to be honest, in our society are a, are a lack of empowerment issue. I, I really do, you know, and I, I can, I will stand on that hill for anxiety, for depression, for, you know, masculinity. I, I think a lot of it stems from a lack of empowerment issue and, and empowering people to actually ask their own questions, make their own choices and not continuously be victims. Yeah, I agree. We could we could have 10 podcasts on the, yeah. the war on masculine and what I'm seeing and I'm seeing it younger and younger and younger. And as we talked about the school system, it's it's a factory to create young people and mm-hmm. young adults. And I'm seeing the fruits of that. You know, even in my generation, sports was still there. 
and masculinity was still there. And there was a lot of testosterone and a lot of all these different things flying around. What I'm observing of these 15 year old kids is they are very soft. They're, there's no, they're very feminine. They're not athletic. They're not strong. And if that's not you, I'm not judging. However, I think I love Socrates quote. It says, uh, Something along the lines is what a waste for a man not yep. to see the strength and capability of his own body. Because I've had that martial arts background, I feel like there's a lot of value in being strong and being capable and testing myself because that lends to the safety and security of, of your family. Uh, my family. And you, so we, I saw this uh, argument going on on Facebook the other day about uh, someone was giving someone grief where it was a, whether it was said by Jordan Peterson, I think that was their main beef, but it was like, Something along the lines that uh, uh, weak men can't be uh, gentle people, or or, or, mm-hmm. or it's well, like you, you have to be it. dangerous. No, you have to be dangerous to be kind, or something. Because if you're in mm-hmm. along those ideas, because if you have no capacity for harm, then you can't be like essentially good. And I'm kind right. of you're just a, you're just you're just because in the beta. You're you a beta. You can't do anything. So if somebody mm-hmm. comes up to me and is a total piece of shit. And, and choose I, I can choose, I can choose it. You can't, you aren't doing yeah. anything. I'm choosing well, not, not being to break kind. this. You're not being you know? kind, you're being disempowered because you don't know how to do anything else. Right. So in yeah. that, in that instance, that man is, is he's not kind. He's actually just powerless and yeah. it's disguised as kindness as a, as a safety measure to reduce him co- potentially coming to harm. That face, the face and self-worth and it's like, oh, well, you're so kind. So it's like, no, no, you don't have the, the capability. You know, yeah. And so and... I think that when we talked about it, sorry to catch up, but like the infinite, oh, okay. po- infinite potential part of that, it, we still live in a world where we do need to protect where my family needs to be safe. This isn't the safest world. <laughs> you know what it's I mean? Getting worse. It it's is not worse. the safest world at all. And like, even when we went to Paris, there was, uh, you know, people that like threatened myself and my partner at the time, like in, in, it got real intense. You know, I've traveled and had a gun to my head. There's been machetes pulled. You know, I have a small daughter now it's not always safe. And so part of my duty, you know, yesterday, or we live kind of out of town and, you know, I have a weapon beside my bed, you know, it's yeah, like a, so a couple right. and she, she's given, my wife has given me shit for it, you know? And then apparently I just slept through. She's like, I felt, I heard all these noises. And I was like, how do you feel about having the weapons beside the bed now? She's like, good because yeah. <laughs> i'm going to be the one that gets up to do something and that's right. just what's happened it's just a part of being here and i think it's so important because that strength leads into other areas of confidence because mm, yeah. you know what i mean it's like well my body's capable of doing these things and like your body's your temple and so and this is what i see in the spiritual community as well where everyone's like your body's your temple your body's your temple but i see a lot of weakness like you know you mm-hmm. have you're not mastering it in any way you're not even taking care of it really mm-hmm. so in martial arts you have to master the body first you don't let that go that's your vitality that's your energy and that's your force to put in in all things you don't have to be an mma fighter you don't have to be a world record power lifter however what are you doing to make sure you're honoring your body and you're, well, I you're think giving you it the strength do, and vitality i think you do need to be strong i i think that you know and, and people can call me whatever they i've been called many of things for my stances on stuff i i do think as a man you need to be strong and I think that, and again, very polarizing topic when you look at the transgender movement that's happening. And now I know a couple of people that are transgender, they're amazing people. I'm not judging them whatsoever. But you look at men who no longer know how to be men, and now they're being judged for that. And what's the easiest route to escape 
being a low-level man. Well, if I'm being emasculated and I'm more feminine than masculine and I don't know how to reclaim that, well, then, you know, I kind of do feel more like a woman. Maybe I was meant to be a woman. And I think that we, 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 we see that playing out. And again, some people can fully be totally happy and have that realization of themselves and, and make that change. And I think that's amazing for you. I think be whoever you want to be. But I think that we're not giving enough attention to the intentions behind those in the first place. And we're just kind of like, we, we've really lost structure of standards. And I think, you know, you see this with the participation trophies and being politically correct and cancel culture. And it's like, we, we these, these structures of strength and fortification that we've had just continue to get wider and wider and wider and wider. And it's really hard to really take the state of the world seriously at this point you know you look at the things in the news you look at you know the the um protests and the you know the non-violent protests when buildings are burnt to the ground and you just look at it and you're like are, are people really this ignorant to the war that's being raged on we the people i mean you know what's what's the first thing to rally people together it's a war you want to you want to get rid of all the racism and all the this and all of that. It's like give us an enemy that's shooting missiles at us, and all of a sudden everybody's going to come together and be brothers again because we have a different enemy. We're bred for war in this society, so if there's not an external war, we will always find an internal war with each other. So there'll be conflicting of interest. There'll be Democrat versus Republic. There'll be blacks versus whites. There'll be gays versus straights, trans versus not. It's like, no matter what, everybody's always trying to find something to go to war with because they're so at war with themselves. So the second that we can turn that internal, and I don't, you know, I'm a, I'm a hopeless romantic for the future of our society, you know, but I really, I really do have to believe that the ones here doing that work and make a difference and that we can change and that we can eventually get to a point where there is no more need for war internally or externally but that's going to come with a lot of people really checking their egos and being able to let go of the past and, and accept i think just accept is the word to stop at yeah. Well, I, I like that idea that we're not going to have external, we'll stop external war until we stop the internal war. And these people designing this, and I know for sure there's people that pull the strings to design this because I spent oh, a lot yeah. of time studying it and they've studied yeah. the psychology too, and they understand us. So it's divide and conquer all day, yep. every day. And every day. A, a friend of mine was saying like, right now there's war denial right? Mm -hmm. Of what's going on. And when you start to pay attention to any industry, you start to pay attention to education, you start to pay attention to school, you start to stay, pay attention to uh, who is in your governments, you start to look at world organizations and the people that run them and their intents, you start to figure it out. It's not that hard, but people don't want to look at it. So it's like, they don't want to, they can't imagine that people would have malintent. They wouldn't have their best mm -hmm. interest at heart, but it also comes back for them not understanding themselves. If you know yourself, those things are going to have a less pull. It's like hypnosis, uh, hypnotherapy and, uh, or from, uh, a marketing standpoint, right? If I am using hypnosis on people through a language pattern and you mm -hmm. know what I'm doing, it's going to have less effect on you. Same with mm -hmm. jujitsu. If you don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to choose what arm I'm going to break or I'm going to choke you out. I'm going to do whatever I want because you don't know what I'm doing, right? Mm -hmm. It works. But if you know, then you can stop it. 
and it's not, I'm not going to get the steps I need to break your arm. It's the same with, you know, all this subconscious peppering we're getting we're like, Oh, that was a language pattern. What's the mm-hmm. intent behind that language pattern? What's, what's this little thing they're inserting in the movie and they're in every movie. It's like, Oh, that, oh, was, the the symbolism. that was the, the underlying crazy. Yeah. yeah. And also like, you know, like they'll always do the conspiracy. It's like, Oh, and they'll, they'll make them always look dumb, always look this. And you'll notice that there's not a lot of strong families in any kind of um, storybook, any, you mm-hmm. know, one, I'm kind of bouncing around, but one thing that I've always thought with the media and education and movies and songs that we popularize, if we mm-hmm. can, story is the number one trigger for us to learn something. If we had empowering stories of who we are, what the world could be, what you're capable of doing, we could shift a whole generation by indoctrinating that with everything. And there's a reason why from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m., it's not one murder show, not CSI. It's a slew of murder shows. And then goblins over here. And then Zob- everything is conflict. And you're receiving that in the subconscious mind day in and day out. And now you're afraid of people. Like I, I, one thing David Lone Bear taught me was to uh, get people's names. So I go through the checkout and I said, Hey man, what's your name? And he just looks at me like very suspicious, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I was like, and he told me his name. I was like, Oh, I was like, well, next time I come through and you, you help me with my groceries, I'll know your name. And mm-hmm. he's like, Oh, I was like, you know, and like, we're just people here and we're on, we're edge. S- on edge and so defensive. And this guy is supposed to be just, it can't be, Hey, how are you? It's the yeah. stoicism. There's like a stoicism concept where the paranoid man will will cause the harm to himself first. So basically, the king who's afraid to be betrayed is going to go out of his way to betray people first, and then his people will betray him. So it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. And we are in an entire generation of paranoia, and so people are going out and acting the things that they're afraid of out first, so that then they happen to them. And it's just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. It's crazy, dude. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. And that's why it's so important for us to know ourselves, right. Mm -hmm. To do the work for ourselves. So that way, when we're experiencing the adversity or the influence or the challenge or the beauty of life, we're putting it through our own filter. And when we touched a little bit on religion before, there's a lot about religion. I don't like, and specifically around a lot of, um, specific religions that I don't like. I don't like those philosophies. I don't like some of the things, mm-hmm. and I don't like all the stuff that's happened in the name of religion and all that. However, some of the spiritual books to read them for yourself through your own lens, mm-hmm. that's the key because you can take one and you can, you, you have to make your own. It's like, I can teach you martial arts and it could be Mr. Miyagi or Cobra Kai. I've taught you how to, <laughs> yeah. I taught you how to do a feint and a right hand. This is going to work on nine out of 10 people. You'll be able to hit them as hard as you can right. in the face. So you got, they had that knockout game going for a bit. You see that one going around? Yeah, like what in the flying F-bomb is going on? So you can choose that. So whether, wherever you get your spiritual lessons from your spiritual understandings, you have to integrate everything for yourself from everything you hear and and that way you're leading yourself because even if you do something and it's a quote-unquote mistake you will learn from that mistake because you made the choice yourself not because someone told you to do it and you're Mm -hmm. guiding it by your own principles your own values so you're going to learn because all we do in this life is fail then we're like whoa we got we got a successful thing here but the more that we take ownership on that and we listen and we integrate it and say you know i'm gonna try it this way 
And that's why I'm going to try and try and try and reintegrate that. We're following our own path and we're not being led and we're not being manipulated. You can learn from great people. And I think that's a great idea. You can um, have mentors, which I think is a great idea. Teachers, which is a great idea, but always put it through your own process. Yeah. You need your own discernment. Use your own discernment for everything. Yeah. Just one tiny thing I think is really important for that because a lot of people are like, well, how do I know if I'm like, how do I know if it's actually my intuition or like trauma or, you know, my ego or whatever? Um, it's really hard sometimes for people to distinguish between the two voices in their head. And in something that I'm really fond on teaching everybody I work with, especially men, though, is an embodiment practice to start every morning with. And for me, an embodiment practice has to mark a couple things, which is it has to be extremely boring to the mind. It has to be extremely um, physically taxing and there needs to be no distractions. So what this can look like is, you know, you, you waking up first thing in the morning and you go and you hold a, you know, a high horse stance squat and your arms are completely over your head. And now you sit here and you're breathing for five, you're holding that for five minutes. And when the mind starts to get bored, now this is done, we need to go do something else. You know, the mind has people bop around a lot and they get imprisoned in the mind. The mind's in control. Mind's bored, go do this. And we stop being able to get back into our body. So when you're in this embodiment practice and you're feeling the mind, it's, you know, you start tapping back into yourself. How does the feet feel underneath my floor? Or how does the floor feel underneath my feet? What's this burning sensation in my leg? How deep does it go into the muscles? Can I feel my heart beating? Where's my breath? How my shoulders are aching? And you pull yourself back into your body out of the prison of your mind. And when you're finally back in your body, you can actually energetically feel the difference between your higher self speaking and your ego speaking. And that's where discernment really comes into play. But we are so in a society, everything's on our computers, everything's on our phone. We're completely up in our heads and in our minds all day. And we don't do anything to get ourselves back into our body. So when you're just in your mind and you're disconnected, there's like five different voices telling you what to do. And that's when people get overwhelmed and don't do anything. Yeah. I love that example. And it actually wrote, cause the horse stance is super challenging. And that's <laughs> some of the worst. I trained with Shaolin monks in China and they would do Qigong and they would do energy work. And these guys could break stone with finger and do the impossible things. There are 90% of people who claim to do that are charlatans, energy work, this and that, busted. 90% of them are charlatans. It's a magic trick. I know how it works, uh, but there are some people that can do it legit. And when I was at the academy, I could see them break stone every now and then and do some pretty amazing things. But one of my friends told me, and I didn't see this to, to verify it, but he goes, you know, you go in this line and basically what they do is they break you down physically <laughs> almost mm-hmm. every day, just break you down physically. And you're in the mind world and the body and all this kind of stuff. But they're also teaching you to manage the energy of the body and that there mm-hmm. is this energy. There's this Tao, this is force that you are creating. And if you learn to harness that, you can kind of um, share it. And so my buddy was saying that they were doing the horse stance. I believe that's what it was. The details might mm-hmm. be a bit fuzzy, but the, everyone was in a line and one guy just couldn't handle it anymore. And he said, he, he goes, I swear to God, man, I watched the seafood go by and do like a shrug. And the guy just popped up and like it, like it reset him. He's like, I visibly Whoa. watched him go back and he just this little shake and watched him. And he also told me another story because when you're at this academy, you had to be there, I believe for at least a year. And wow. also, or not, no, just for this next part, not everybody. I didn't go for that long. Um, 
you had to be there for a year and then chosen to go to their temple. So this thing was already crazy enough when I was, but they had an upper temple. And my friend who went there, he said, I saw a master go, who was the guy who could break stone with two fingers and do some other amazing things. He goes middle of the night, uh, you know, snowing and he's doing how they would do this standing qigong. It's just kind of hands like this. And that was it. You just stay in like that. And it's super uncomfortable. And, Are you in horse stance while you stand that? No, just a comfortable stance. Um, okay. So you're standing there for a long time and just, basically meditating like that. And he said there was a ring around him and he's like, there was snow falling and piling up, but where he was, was just like this ring, this like auric bubble that he had Whoa. made for himself. And, you know, I think that those stories are fascinating, but when we go back to the basics of it, it was a basic thing done over years of time. I didn't, mm -hmm. I, I got an opportunity to interview him. So I was like, he had done that for years and years. So he had integrated that into his way of being, you don't get that at a weekend retreat. You right. don't get that doing it a couple of <laughs> times, you, you know, and even like the deadlift thing, I've been given an example of somebody squatting 500, 600, 700 pounds. That is absurd, but that happens over years of work. And then all right. of a sudden, holy shit. You're doing something that's unbelievable, but that's us moving and experiencing and realizing our highest potential. Mm -hmm. So we've got body, we've got mind, we've got spirit, we've got mission. All of this happens through daily choices. Um, there's the reflection process of knowing who we are, right? And then navigating and building day by day, you build this up. And so yeah. if we can be clear and choose our direction, we're going to be moving in a meaningful way by our own definition, not being pulled by the world. I love that, man. I got nothing to say. I totally agree with you. <laughs> yeah, you put a cork on that one. Case case closed. <laughs> that's awesome. You got you got me ready to go uh, look up some Shaolin monk stuff because that's uh, just that's send, like right up my alley, man. Yeah, I'll send you some videos. It was, it was please, it was, yeah, yeah, uh, unbelievable. Like it just unbelievable uh bro but this has been an amazing conversation i can, yeah, I, can chat to, I can chat to you all day is there anything that you wish that i had asked or that you want to discuss before we close the show um i mean i guess i guess um if i were to kind of say anything i'm just very big on if people need the help then go to the right places where they need to be you guys kind of know my stance if you're watching this of kind of who I am, my thoughts and how I help. And if if you feel that the way that I'm speaking and the way that I coach is kind of what you need, shoot me a message and let's see if we can help you develop that life that you want to develop for yourself. Otherwise, you're just never going to. Um, you know, I always say success loves speed, but with this new emergence of AI, success has pretty much made speed a requirement to, to act on. So people need to really wake up other than that, I always tell people the most important question you can ask yourself is what if I could? So I, I just leave it. it. Yeah, I just leave it at that. Love it. And where if people want to find you, where do they go? Yeah. Uh my it's just my first and last name, Nick Comodina, put together. I'm on that's my Instagram. And then Nick Comodina underscore official is my YouTube and my TikTok. I just started both of them. I just started a YouTube and a TikTok. So right on. Help me out. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. This is an awesome episode. I hope everybody enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Yeah, episode. thanks for having me, man. My pleasure, brother. Peace. Peace.
There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely incredible Nick Comadina. I hope that you enjoyed that show, that you'll consider sharing, leaving a review on iTunes and Spotify, and just thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you so very much. Uh, consider joining the email list if you haven't already so we can stay in touch about future episodes. You can give me feedback on guests that you want to hear and anything else. And for those of you guys who want to inquire about Zen Athlete, you want to do some coaching, you want to see some of my programs, just go to mattbelair.com, Zen athlete.com or mattbelair.com forward slash coaching love to hear from you work with you and see how i can support you and your vision and your life so thank you guys so much for being here i appreciate you i appreciate everybody who's taken a moment to leave a review i appreciate everybody who wished me a happy birthday everybody who listens to this show everybody who is a patron and you know contributes a dollar or three bucks a month i've had people who say to me you know i'm sorry i only contribute a dollar or three dollars that's the best amount because if everybody tripped in a little tiny bit it would really help keep this show going and to improve it and get the things i need because the compensation made from this show goes back into doing more shows making it better getting better guests and i'm just going to keep doing the best i can for as long as i can because uh you know i love doing it and just appreciate you guys so much so thanks so much let's come into a state of peace coherence peace and coherence before we close this show Stop whatever you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, passion, contentment, courage, power, faith, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.